So we're in this new series, Get Out There, and if you look at that video and go, okay, that's not my style. Maybe yours is a little more like this. All right, well, one or the other. I hope you found your way to James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be looking there together at what James is talking about, uh, uh, trials and testing and temptation. And, you know, somebody said into every life some rain must fall, and this year, uh, this week, this month, it's, uh, it's been falling a lot, hasn't it? On all of us. And something else we've all had in common this week, whether we thought about it or not, was troubles. We all deal with troubles and trials and temptations every day. Even if we don't talk about them, we we think about them, we feel them, we struggle with them. And James talks about troubles a lot out loud and and trials. And you ever have the experience when you were in school, you'd go to school and you, you get there and you realize, I forgot there was a test today in one of my more challenging topics, uh, subjects. And if only I'd prepared for the test, think how much better I would have done. Well, t- tests are coming our way. James is pastor of a, of a young church that's been growing like a weed and it's, it's being tested. It had phenomenal growth, but also incredible persecution. And um, Uh, James is telling them, prepare, your big test is today. He says in verse 12 of chapter 1, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And the Bible talks about two different kinds of testing. One is called trials. One is called temptation. Both of them use the same Greek word, where they're translated into English, trials or temptations. It's the Greek word periasmos. And sometimes translated trials, sometimes uh, translated temptations. But I think there's a difference between the two. Sometimes we're we're struggling with trials that come from God. They're like a test. And God is cheering for us to succeed. And sometimes we're struggling with temptation that comes from our own selfish desires or from the devil. And the devil would love to cause us to sin to fall short of the glory of God so that he can bring grief to God because sin breaks God's heart. Sometimes we don't differentiate. Sometimes we have a wrong view of a trial and a wrong view of God. And James is answering the question, are there wrong ways to view trials? Are there wrong ways to view trials? And he gives two ways that fully devoted followers of Christ, people who are maturing in their faith, might look at a certain situation with a wrong perspective. View number one, that's wrong. God is tempting me. He says in verse 13, don't let anybody say what he's tempted. I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Now, here's the line of thought. I am being tempted to do the wrong thing, and this temptation is so powerful, I can hardly resist it. It must be God who's tempting me. See, temptation is as old as the world itself. The Bible in Genesis chapter 2 has God creating, in chapter 1, God creating man and woman, placing them in the Garden of Eden, and uh, this whole garden is perfect. They can have everything they want, but God says there's one tree. Don't touch that tree. Now, if you'd gotten to go to the garden, which tree do you suppose had a path all the way around it? Of people walking around, how come God said don't touch this one? Sure looks nice. wonder what that would taste like. You see, there's only one sure way to get rid of temptation. Cave in and surrender. 
Obey your thirst. Do the wrong thing as fast as you can, but it will not be satisfying for very long. Caving in brings sin and disaster and distance from God and, and death. God himself is not part of that. God is life and light and forgiveness and relationship and peace. It would not be consistent with the nature of God to command you not to do something and then tempt you with it and then punish you when you fell into it. God's just not like that. So let's take a realistic look. Let's talk about what really needs to happen when you're dealing with temptation. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. A mature Christian takes responsibility. That's the true view. A mature Christian takes responsibility. James is talking to these believers. He knows they've been having many trials. Stand the test and you'll be blessed. That's what he tells them. Stand the test and you'll be blessed. And some of them were being tested all the way up to the point of death. Blessed means happy. When you live your life under control of God's Holy Spirit, you're living a disciplined life. And there is no habit or there's no vice that has control of you. And you'll be happy. That means you have to say no to temptation when it comes your way. And temptations will continue to come your way. James says those who remain steadfast under trial will receive the crown of life. And the crown of life literally means life itself. When do you really live? You really live when you're not in bondage to anything or to anyone. There's no bad habit that has control of you. Then you're really free. And there's the prize, the reward for enduring temptation. First it says you're blessed. So happiness comes from having your life under control and not letting any bad habit control you or devastate you, and you know how to say no to temptation. So let me give you some practical suggestions of how to win over temptation. The first one is expect temptation to visit you soon. It doesn't come knocking on your front door, but it will show up. Verse 13, don't let anybody say when they're tempted, I'm tempted by God. James doesn't say if you're tempted. He says when you're tempted. Everybody gets tempted. Even mature Christians are tempted. You never get too old to be tempted. You're never too spiritually mature to be tempted. You never get too holy to be tempted. You're never... In fact, somebody's being tempted to look at their phone right now. And see, even Jesus was tempted severely. You go read it in Luke chapter 4, and he is tempted by the devil at a time where he's weak and he's exhausted and he's been doing some difficult things. Temptation is a shortcut to getting to the same place without staying on God's plan. It's a shortcut, and you know how those work out. Jesus was perfect, and he was still dealing with temptation. So you'll never outgrow it. Don't let it surprise you. Get so you can recognize it sooner. Read the offense and know your opponent's playbook. The devil's primary offense is to try to deceive you, to lie to you, to get you to believe a half-truth, to get you to not believe the truth at all. So know that it's coming and be ready to thwart it in your life. Now, being tempted might be frustrating. It might leave you hot and bothered. But temptation is not a sin. Caving into the temptation is the sin. And Jesus knows how you feel in that tough moment. It says in Hebrews 4, 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. 
Jesus was tempted. He never succumbed, so the temptation didn't let up. And he knows that magnetic draw. So expect that it's coming in your life too and call out to Jesus. Expect temptation to visit you soon. The second thing is take responsibility for yourself. Avoid the blame game. Why blame God? Why blame other people? He says, don't let anybody say, I'm being tempted by God. God doesn't tempt with evil. I think it was Will Rogers who said, you can summarize American history into two great movements, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. And we live at a time when people love to point the finger at someone else. It's the environment. It's the Democrats. It's the Republicans. It's the government. It's because of my parents. It's because of my spouse. It's because of my kids. The devil made me do it. And on and on and on we go, coming up with excuses why we can't just say, I made poor choices. Why do we make bad choices and then blame them on God? God doesn't tempt us. God is true to His Word. God will never whisper something in your ear that's contrary to His Scriptures. He will never place an idea in your heart that it goes against His Word. So be responsible. When temptation comes, be ready. Be prepared for it. And when you slip and fall into take responsibility, ask God to forgive you and get up. It's important to get up one more time than you slip and fall. God forgives you, but get up and move on in your Christian walk. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Peter said, be on your guard. Be ready. Be prepared. Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. Take responsibility and expect that it's coming. Third thing is to recognize temptation's pattern. He said, everybody's tempted when they're lured and enticed by their own desire. Temptation's a process. It's not random. I love to go to Yosemite National Park, and there's a, a rock in there called Glacier Point that you can drive all the way up to uh, the backside of it and then stand there and look off a cliff that goes down for virtually a mile. We happened to get there early one morning. Sun was just coming up, and much to my surprise, there were already people up there ahead of us, and one of them was a ranger who was talking to a guy with a hand glider, a hang glider. Somebody corrected me at the first service. It's not a hand glider. It wasn't doing like the guy was doing, you know, with the costumes. Hang glider. And uh, he's about to, to uh, go off the edge. And so the ranger's talking to him. Then the ranger backs up. We're only about 10 feet behind him. And suddenly, I mean, it caught me in the pit of the stomach. This guy is running toward the cliff. One, two, three, and he's off in the air. I don't know if you'd like trying that. Could be a lot of fun. Could be disaster. James traces four steps off the edge of the cliff of temptation. The first is desire. You have to ask, when did the guy, when was he actually in a committed position that he was still on the ledge, but he was just as good as gone because there was no coming back? Was it after step number one, step number two, step number three? Then he's gone. James says the first step is desire, that we all have desire, a lot of them. And we have uh, some of our desires okay. Some of them are good. Some of them are great. We love to eat and to sleep and to love and to accomplish and to play and to have fun and, and, and on and on. And many of those desires are placed in us by God. They are good gifts to us. They get us up in the morning. But if they are taken to excess or they get out of control, they can destroy us. Each person, James says, is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. These desires are internal. It all starts on the inside. Without desire, you wouldn't be tempted. 
So then it moves from desire to deception. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed, and it sounds like you're fishing. And uh, I think he's, he really is a fisherman here. He's talking about all the bait and the lures that you use to trick fish into chasing one of their desires just a little too far. And you don't catch fish with a bare hook. You have to use bait, the right kind of bait. Now, not all fish are caught on the same bait. You ever heard somebody say, oh, I was tempted and I really had a problem with, and, and I, I gave, caved in, and you think, you fell for that? That's not tempting. Well, it's not the kind of bait that would catch you, is it? But not everybody's caught the same way, and the devil knows your weaknesses, and he's going to attack you at your point of weakness, and he's going to use deception on you. It's his best weapon. He loves to deceive. So temptation starts with our desire, and it moves to deception. You know, temptation always looks better than it really is. Look what happens. Desire, deception, and then derail. When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. It started in your mind, in your imagination, in your thoughts. You molded it over and you liked the idea and you kept thinking it and talk, thinking it and thinking it. Maybe you never said it out loud. I mean, at this point, you finally took your thought to an action. That's exactly what advertising is all about. They get you to imagine something that you could have that you don't or something that you need that you don't really, but they're going to tell you that and they get you to take an action to get it, even though it may be bad for you. It started in your mind. If you think you haven't done anything yet, you've entertained it in your mind. You've already taken a first couple of steps. You're closer to the cliff. Be careful. It's like the guy in the Olympics who was going off the giant slalom jump, and just as he left the end of the ramp, somebody heard him say, whoops, and something wasn't quite right. The mistake had been made, and he's up in the air, and all that he's left to deal with are the consequences of his action. Sin derails God's blessings in your life. Have you ever had that experience when you get into some sin of a thought or a word or deed or that God's Spirit just kind of backs up and doesn't, isn't this present in your life? God doesn't want to be partnered with sin. He loves you. But sometimes when we're not listening to Him, when we're just kind of doing our own thing, He just kind of sits back, I think, folds His arms and says, okay, show me. It's not going to work, but try. Look what happens. Desire, deception, derail, and then death. When sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Death is the opposite of living. It says the crown of life is for those who overcome. It's life lived with God. Death is spiritual separation from God. You know, here's the thought. We're, choose to free, we're free to choose how we live. You're not free to choose the consequences of your actions. So choose carefully. So the first wrong way to view a trial or temptation is to blame it on God. And a mature Christian recognizes this pattern, takes responsibility, avoids the situations that are most tempting, or they quickly come to God in repentance and ask for forgiveness when they have fallen into the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a scripture that is worth memorizing. In fact, read it out loud with me. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, sometimes when we're trying to endure a temptation, the best way to get rid of it is to stand and fight. But a lot of times, the best way to get rid of temptation is run away from it. 
Change the channel. Change your thought. Change your situation. Get away from it. Even the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, who somebody was hitting on him and he tried to get away from her. She grabbed his robe. He ran away and left the robe, which now she used as evidence to say, see, he was trying to come on to me. And for doing what was the right thing, he spent about 15 years in prison. But God knew where he was. God was getting him ready to do a huge job for him. So God provides a way of escape. But we need to see the moment, uh, the opportunity to escape and do it. And Martin Luther said, we cannot keep the birds from flying over our heads, but we can keep them from building a nest in our hair. And sometimes when we entertain that thought and we mull it over and we work it, we work it, we work it, we're building a nest for the wrong kind of bird. The second wrong view that James talked about, besides uh, the first one that uh, you know, God hasn't been fair to me. The second one is found in James verses, 1, verses 16 to 18. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Wrong view number two is God is wronging me. God has not been fair to me. Do not be deceived, he says in verse 16. Have you ever had that thought? God, you're not being fair. I mean, people who love Jesus sometimes believe things that are not true. And they're things that are not found in the Bible. And James is addressing one here, that believers could be deceived into thinking that God was not fair. I mean, have you ever thought everything good in my life is through my own hard work, my own intelligence, my own ingenuity. I have picked myself up by the bootstraps. Well, don't get sucked into thinking wrong thoughts about God. Because everything good in your life comes from God's hand. Don't get fooled into thinking that events happen in our life that cause us to question God and then we have this underlying assumption God hasn't been fair because it took too long or it didn't work out or my prayer wasn't answered the way I wanted it to and God, you have wronged me. Well, more than one experience has had, more than one person has had the experience of crying out to God, God, I prayed, I begged, I pleaded, and it didn't work. Why, God? Why, God? I thought you loved me. I thought you were good. And only later, maybe years later, when you saw the whole situation developed and you turned, it turned your prayer from, why, God? Why, God? To, thank God, thank God. Thank God I didn't marry that person. Thank God I didn't get that job. Thank God I didn't win the lottery. Thank God those things didn't happen that I was hoping for. Sometimes it takes time to realize God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Sometimes we only see that in the rearview mirror of our life. See, the true view is this, verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is the great giver. Everything in your life that's good came from God's hand. He promises to meet our needs, not our greeds, and God will sort those out. So we need to stop fooling ourselves that we can find satisfaction by caving into temptation. God is the only one who can give us what we truly need. And God is the source of everything good. If it's good, it came from God's hand. If it came from God's hand, it's good. You go, even trials? Even hardships? Yeah. Remember, James is writing to a young persecuted church. People have been going to prison because they love Jesus. People have been being put to death because they love Jesus. Many of the people there in Jerusalem left the church and left their homes and fled. 
They became refugees. This letter is written to those who are scattered, who love Jesus. It's not for sissies or flyweights. And James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. This phrase, coming down, is written in such a way, that for you English teachers, it's the present participle, that it indicates a continual coming down. It's like a stream that just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. God is constantly and consistently giving to us what we need. Protection, rain, air, food, shelter, light, love, and the list goes on and on. It's endless. God is good all the time. The phrase, the father of lights, always seemed kind of weird to me, but, but it's true. God created light. God fathered light. You can find it right in the first chapter of the Bible. He created our sun. But did you know that there are a million stars brighter than the sun that's the closest to the earth? just in the Milky Way. Did you know if you traveled at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, it would take you about 100,000 years just to cross the Milky Way? And, and we're only in one galaxy of millions of galaxies. God fathered all the lights. And Jesus, we're told in the Bible, is the true light, which gives light to everybody, and he was coming into the world. James goes on to say, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Well, the sun that gives us light causes shadows. The sun's light can be blocked. In fact, we spend half the, every day in the dark. But God's light can't be blocked. There's no variation. God never changes. There's no shadow from Him changing. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you don't think that's a big deal, that can't be said of you. That can't be said of me. We change. Only God can do that to stay constant and faithful and the same and dependable. And the big fancy word that theologians use for this is immutability, the immutability of God. God never changes. So look at this true view. God is good all the time. God is generous. God is consistent. He never changes. And God loves you best. He loves you best. I had to laugh last week. We had a funeral for Pat Rogers. Pat Rogers had one girl and eight boys. She had nine children. I think the girl was third. And two of the brothers, one goes to our church and told this story, had, had this little contest going as they were growing up. Does mom love you or me more? Mom loves me best. That's what one of them would say. And the other would contest it, and they'd go back and forth. And maybe you had this kind of thing. Now, I know my parents love my sister best. So, you know, it was settled. But... Um, <sighs> At the funeral, one of the brothers got up and shared, and he said, you know, I found some notes on mom's night, bed stand right next to her bed, and he read some cards that she had received and some she had written to other people. And then the other brother, uh, the one who goes here uh, to church, Robert got up and he said, you know, I was next to mom's bed, and I too found a note by her bed, and he held it up, and it said, Robbie, I love you best. <laughs> and it was big enough you could read it right from where you're sitting. And his brother goes, wait, wait. <laughs> but it's true. God loves you best. Look at verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, first fruits means you can be first in line or first in importance. So it has either to do with order or significance. We know we're not first in order. 
There have been Christians for 2,000 years, but God has placed the children he loves as first among all of his creation. Everything he created, he loves you more. He loves you best. He loves you that much. So God is going to keep his eye on you. He's watching you. He's cheering for you to succeed, and he's going to give you exactly what you need. Say, wait a minute, does that include tough times? Yeah, it includes testing. You know, in school, you could just float along in a class, but when the teacher says, tomorrow, we're going to have a test, what do you do? You study. If you're smart, you get ready for that moment so that you succeed. God is getting us ready to pass the big tests, and sometimes his love includes a test or a trial that helps us to grow. Testings are good gifts from God that can make us be more like Jesus. Trials are gifts from God for our growth. So, this week, I'm in my office and I'm sorting and pitching. We're getting ready for a big move. In case you're brand new around here, we're going to move everybody from this campus all to our second campus. And um, we're going to let them do some construction here and lengthen the parking lot. And uh, I don't know when, if that's what you were wondering, but I expect it to be before Easter this year. Okay, one of these times I'm going to be right. The last one. But I'm in faith. I'm getting ready. So I'm going through drawers trying to get down the amount of stuff that I'm going to take. And I came across a page that almost made me laugh out loud because it was a timeline for our building project. Do you know, if we'd followed my timeline, we would have finished all the buildings in 2005. (laughs) 2006 at the latest. And we would have paid it all off by 2010. Yeah, isn't that great? Except, did we fail? Well, no, we're building buildings because they're tools that God can use for us to do ministry, but we haven't failed if we're still doing the important things that God prepared in advance for us to do, to love the Lord with all our heart, to worship the Lord together and to listen to His voice in prayer, to serve the Lord with gladness, to gather together with other believers and encourage one another, like in small groups or Sunday school classes, to make disciples of all nations, to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We have an important job to do, South Shores. Hey, Christian be Christian. Remember, we had a whole series on that. We need to be God's people and do God's work. And we need to keep growing toward maturity in Christ. We need to grow up and we need to thank God for everything, even the trials that come our way, even the times that it seems that he takes too long because we know God's timing is perfect. He's never late because God gives us trials and testing as gifts to make us stronger, to make us better, to make us more like Jesus Christ. Now think about this. God could complete our entire project right here on the hill with a word. It could just be done. Go outside and it'd all be finished, right? If he wanted to do it that way. He hasn't wanted to do it that way. Instead, he's wanted, instead of doing it all by himself in a second, he's wanted to include us in a process that helps us to grow to, to say, okay, how committed are we to Jesus Christ and to seeing his word proclaimed in this place? And he's wanting to mature us and grow us in our character. And he wants us to be faithful to him and to his word and to trust him even in tough times, even as he's taking us through a, a process. And God's good all the time. He never changes. So he wants us to recognize temptations that come our way and to know the pattern. And he wants us to avoid falling in the same trap over and over. And when we do fall in the trap, he forgives us once again. So get back up and keep moving forward with Jesus because he really loves you. You are his favorite. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that what James wrote so many years ago still applies to us today like it was written this morning. 
that we're still dealing with temptation and testings and trials and troubles, and you're with us at each moment. So give us your thoughts. Give us your strength. Give us the power to live as sons and daughters of God in this crooked world and help us as a gathering of your people, South Shores, to be the people of God and to do your work and to know your joy in great measure. And we thank you for the privilege of walking with Jesus. Thank you that you love us the best. You are awesome. We love you. Amen.